Hello everyone and welcome to a very special episode of Brainwaves. It's the end of the year and what a year it has been and we thought we'd take a moment to take stock of the year, look back at some of the articles and stories that we talked about earlier in the year, have a chat about them and look forward a little bit to 2021 and what that might bring to the world of gaming. I am of course joined by regular host Jamie. Hello there. And Ian. Hello. But it's not just us three tonight, we are also joined by a very special guest and we're very happy to welcome Josh Hartley of the Unlucky Frog to the Brainwaves HQ. How are you doing, Josh? Thank you very much for having us. Yes, I'm grand, thank you. I, I say grand, this this has been an awful year, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> overall, but uh, in, this mo- in this moment, I am content. That's good. How are the rest of the Unlucky Frog doing these days? Very good, yeah. Uh, ben and Charlotte are now settled into their new place. So, oh, phenomenal. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so very exciting times for them. Uh, Mr. Tom Mannering as well. I, funnily enough, I was just recording with him earlier this evening as well. So he's he's keeping well. He's keeping well. Looking forward to things going back to some sort of normality next year, although I'm, I'm probably jumping the gun here. When that's going to be exactly, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, we're all looking forward to it with, with, with vaccines on the horizon. You know, there is some hope there that we'll actually get to sit around the table and play some games together in the not like crazy distant future. And so talking about vaccines, of course, we can't really do any 2020 uh, look back cast without talking about the coronavirus and how it has basically disrupted, well, literally everything. Uh, for the gaming world, the major impact there has been conventions, of course. Conventions have not been a thing this year, and we saw a slew of them cancelled at the start of the year. And we haven't seen anything, really, in the way of conventions, apart from the virtual side of things. We've seen, what, Virtual Expo, Virtual sort of Gamma, Virtual... Um, what else did we see? Virtual Spiel, Spiel Virtual UKGE, yeah. Dragon Meat was now ModCon, or was kind of in partnership with Modiphius for ModCon. To name uh, but a few. Albacon as well. Was of course. Oh, yes, Albacon, yeah, which, Albacon, which replaced Tabletop Scotland. Yes. Um, yeah, that... I feel bad I forgot about Albacon. <laughs> Me too. Was there, uh, you, Josh, you're more involved in the world of war games than any of us are. Was there any sort of attempt to sort of do virtual versions of any war game conventions at all? Not, no, no, not really. Like, it, it, the thing, obviously, gaming is a huge part of all of these conventions, but particularly with the likes of like Warhammer and 40k, etc., that's very difficult to organize virtually. Mm. You, you can, and people have been playing these games on Tabletop Simulator. That for, I, I have tried that. That for me is uh, a painful experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a painful enough experience in using it for just board games. I can't imagine for miniature games. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, it is uh, I'm, to caveat this, like as as with using it for playing board games, it's better than not playing full stop at all. Completely. But, um, yeah. Uh, what what Warhammer? Uh, sorry, Games Workshop have been doing uh they have been doing online streams to sort of tease out the information that they would normally be releasing at these sort of conventions mm. anyway sure. it's not the same though it's not the same no. excitement as being in the room when that uh, information gets released though so it, it's a shame it's a huge shame 
Yeah, I mean, we've sorely missed Games Expo. I've been down at Dragon Meat in London in the last week or so. If things have been normal, seeing friends yeah. down there that I don't really get to see otherwise, see them about once a year down at Dragon Meat. So yeah, it's it's a, a sad time to not be able to see people and see friends from far and wide. But on the sort of like sort of discussion side of this kind of thing, do you think we're going to see companies toning down the number of releases for next year for twenty twenty one? Maybe pushing more of their evergreen titles that's titles that they sort of have in stock and they sell over and over again things like i got Catan would be a good example of an evergreen title or do you think we'll still see like big huge new releases next year what do you think chaps i think next year is full steam ahead yeah have, yep mm-hmm. it's time for fomo it's time for conventions <laughs> it's time for yep. massive the, kickstarters save the, the backlog is going to is going to cause a massive swell and yeah uh, yeah it's, it's going to be a tidal wave Yep. What I would hope, and I know I'm being slightly flippant, but I'd hope that we see less of to none is coronavirus-themed games that oh, are oh God, akin, yeah. that are yeah. akin to exploding kittens. <laughs> except instead of drawing an exploding There's kitten, been so many of those on Kickstarter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just, just don't. If you think you've got a good idea for a coronavirus board game, just stop. Matt Leacock would like to tap you on the shoulder and go, "Pandemic, guys. Sorry." Yeah. If if. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there's ever, like, when you're asking yourself, is this too soon? Like, if you're still in the event, it is 100% too soon. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. like, don't do it. Don't do it. it. Is that thing still literally happening? It's yes. too soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah Grey's absolutely. Anatomy are refilming the final season to include coronavirus, in case anyone is wondering. Really? Yep. Wow. That's... <laughs> so, the, the thing is, obvious... obvious... A moment, a, a, a point in their defense, right? It is a medical show. It would kind of be weird if they didn't talk about coronavirus, like, at all. But at the same time, is is that really in good taste? I don't know. Yeah. I saw, I saw, I think it was, might have been Joel Schumacher produced, not directed, but a film that was coming out, I think it was on streaming or something like that, or it was meant to be a, it was meant to be a festival, but it was basically like, the idea was, ah, it's day 3000 of the lockdown. <laughs> oh, is that a Michael Basically, far, far, fu- far, far future of, like, this event. And it's like, guys, that is really way too soon. Please stop. I, I was going to say, this is obviously Joel Schumacher before he died. Maybe I'm getting the name wrong there. I can't remember. I, it was a director I recognized, but I can't remember. <laughs> Michael Bay? Nah, I'll I'll, I'll look Michael it up. Michael Bay's I'll look it up another rubbish director. It could be him. <laughs> yes. Welcome to Film Waves. Yes, we are. <laughs> this is the 2020 look back on films, <laughs> and us are just slagging film. We'll get back to games later, but now let's do some film let, slagging. Let me, let me tell you about my opinions about what Christopher Nolan said recently. Anyway, uh, mm. moving on. Um, one thing I'd like to touch on a little bit actually for like conventions next year, especially in the UK. Since we're talking about them, Brexit is obviously going to be a thing there. Yes. With companies like visas or for people coming over, product getting into the country. I was talking about this on Twitter recently that I think it's going to be much harder for UK reviewers to get games, especially from the States and from European companies. That It's just going to be harder. Prices have gone up posting to the UK. VAT, there's new VAT considerations. All sorts of things happening there. What do you guys think will be the effect of Brexit on conventions once they get up and running? And we're still talking about sort of probably last quarter next year before conventions properly get back to going. Yeah, I've got a, a couple of thoughts on this. I think if, if if coronavirus hadn't happened, I would have thought that within the first quarter of next year, 
the convention scene would have still been very much disrupted as a as a consequence of that, particularly mm-hmm. like some of the larger ones that do have yeah. some uh, some of a draw from uh, from the continent. I would like to think that some of the sort of logistical kinks might have been worked out by the time that we're actually having conventions. That being said, it is inevitably going to cost companies from like from the European Union more to now attend the any conventions yeah. within the UK. And in particular, the the one I'm that comes to mind in particular for my me is UK Games Expo. So yeah. yeah, that's what I've got in mind as well. Yeah, so I, you have to be wondering uh, the leadership teams of all these various companies, big and small. They're all going to be asking themselves, "Is it worth our while?" Like we we've got Essen, we've got like dozens of other conventions throughout Europe. Do we need to attend UK Games Expo? It is currently yeah. the third biggest in the world. Well, time will tell. Time will tell as to what how that's impacted. But that's definitely going to be a conversation that people are going to be having about whether they want to attend or not. Yep. I think a lot of companies are going to say, you know what, UK Games Expo is the one expo we're going to focus on in the UK and go to. I think a lot of the smaller expos might be hit really harshly Mm -hmm. by international guests just not turning up. That's a good point. Yeah, as they they go, well, it costs more to go to UK conventions, so we'll go to the, the big one. Yeah, and will not go to like Dragon Meat or Aircon or exactly any, any mm-hmm. of the smaller ones. Yeah, it'd be a real shame there. But yeah, no, yeah, another consequence of our excellent decisions. I did see this. I don't know if if someone pulled this like out of like out their backside, but I did see someone tweet that uh, Games Workshop is worth four times the amount of the uh, UK fishing <laughs> yes. industry, and no. they we saw, that we no. saw that as well, and we've been yes. trying to. Quantify qualify it, it's really interesting that. i really <laughs> yeah. want to know i want to know like how like how many more times uh the guys who make toy soldiers is worth than the hill that boris johnson is currently dying on like yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like well like the arts and entertainment industry is massively bigger than fishing yeah massively bigger i, I think like fishing in the uk is something like 0.4 billion it's like a tiny, tiny it? slice of a very yeah. It's, it's not tiny. even. It, it's not even. So zero point four billion. It's not even on. It's not even broke a billion. I think that's correct. I think I saw. I think I saw that statistic in the Guardian the other day. That I might be wrong, and I, I will check that. But it is very, very small piece of our GDP pie. And mm-hmm. arts and entertainment and things like computer game industry, for instance, are bigger. Yeah. In fact, there are more. There are less, fewer people. This is completely off topic, but we'll go for it. Uh, there are few, fewer people working in fishing than we're working in Debenhams. That's insane. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, but it's yeah. got all of this attention because it was an election pledge. So there we yeah, go. Basically. Politics. Yay. Talking about politics. Yeah, just to <laughs> say, just to add, in 2019, um, the fishing industry accounted for 0.12% of the UK's GDP. Anyway, talking about politics, the other we're going to be touching on all the very light topics in this cast, obviously. (laughs) Of course, uh, towards the start of the year, there were tragic events in America and the Black Lives Matter movement came to the attention of everyone worldwide. And as a consequence of a lot of that movement, 
representation and racism in the games in the tabletop games industry and amongst other fandoms and geekdoms as well uh geekdoms as well indeed almost all levels of society all levels of society yes indeed it came to the fore uh we reported on various consequences of this things like gamma the game manufacturers association cancelled origins online as guests walked out over gamma's silence on the matter Wizards moved to ban uh, racist magic cards. They also put a statement out on diversity and representation in D&D. Uh, someone called Ryan Black left, who was a writer for D&D, and they burned bridges on the way out with a statement that said they had very little support inside, work had been stolen, and their statement actually got support for, a lot of support from outside and actually inside Wizards, including Greg Tito, Wizards Senior Communication Manager. We've also seen the representation side of D&D, come to the fore with uh, people like Sarah Thompson putting out the combat wheelchair and new rules regarding race and racial bonuses in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything that came out fairly recently. Mm -hmm. Other companies also sort of imploded a little bit around about this time. We saw a lot of harassment accusations from inside Cards Against Humanity and the head of the company, Max Temkin, was ousted because of that. Lots of companies put out statements saying they stood with the Black Lives Matter movement, including ourselves. And so one thing I'd like to ask is, do we think that a lot of those companies, including us, will live up to those promises? We basically said that we'd help raise up the profile of smaller designers, smaller publishers, and try and get as many diverse voices as possible uh, in things like Meeting of Minds or interviews on the site. And I've been trying to get in touch with more uh, female creators, certainly, over the course of the year. And I've been, uh, I need to find more people more people from diverse backgrounds as well to, to say i haven't managed that yet but i am still working towards that with the bigger companies do they do they think do we think that they're going to carry these pledges into 2021 and actually do something about them or is it just lip service silence yeah i don't i, I doubt i don't doubt that these pledges are for the most part made with the best of intentions it's but it's very easy for this sort of stuff to fall by the wayside once yeah. once the microscope is no longer there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, like trying to push for more diversity in, in tabletop gaming, in geekdom, in the rest of life is not a new thing at all. Uh, no. And this this is not the first time that companies have made pledges to do better and to be better. But when, like I say, when the attention is not on that, it's very easy to forget. Um, yeah. So uh, my gut feeling is kind of. I think. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I. It would not surprise me if, and this may be, uh, this may sound cynical, but it, it, it would not surprise me if a lot of this it has been forgotten about by the time that we've come to this time next year. Unfortunately. Yeah, Wizards put out a statement recently saying it's going to take them years to change a lot of the stuff that's sort of entrenched in D&D with the sort of racial stuff and, and, and things like that. What do you guys think is the right solution to addressing this? Because like the, the, the elephant in the room is that when I go to gaming conventions or gaming stores or, or, or you know, whatever, um, any public place to, to play one of these games sat around the table at me is overwhelmingly like white middle-class men. So like, is, is yeah. it, is it companies responsibilities to change that from the top down? Or is it us to try and 
change it from the bottom up or what I think is the actual solution is a mix of the two. I, I was going to say, is it is it a bit of a weasel out to say a mix of the two and hope and with the best, you know, most optimistic will in the world trying to meet in the middle? Yeah, it's like it's a real catch twenty two. That with like, for instance, um, a game Ian and I both love, Netrunner, uh, had mm-hmm. a huge sort of uh, uh, had a very diverse pool of art in its game, and as such, attracted a very diverse pool of players. So there's a bit of a catch-22 there where, yes, you need companies to sort of put out diverse art and have diverse representation in the games because that attracts a more diverse clientele to the games, attracts a, a more diverse group of gamers to the games. But also you need some kind of pressure from communities to make that happen as well, I think. You need people to say, we want this. Otherwise, yeah. companies aren't going to do it because in the end, companies are out to make money. And if they think there's yep. nothing in it for them, even with the best will in the world, they're not going to do that thing. So yeah, there. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Josh. I think it's a bit of both. I'd like to see more companies being a bit more forthright. Like wizards have a lot of easy options. I think like they say like it's going to take years to do this, but there's people literally champing at the bit to have this kind of thing in D and D, for instance. Mm-hmm. And they could just hire those people. Yeah, and it's not only that. I mean, that like one of their big properties, obviously, is Magic: The Gathering. That yeah. is an art-based game. Like on on all of these cards is a piece of art, and they have over the years got better at um, at representation within the, those cards and, and within the stories surrounding those cards as well. I did more of that, please. Uh, and certainly going back to the point on the racist cards that got banned earlier this year. That, they have come a long way. <laughs> like those, we've all seen those cards. We're, we're firmly in yikes territory when we're, we're looking at the <laughs> the art for those. Uh, one thing I will say, and because there's probably a few people who are wondering, well, why on earth did they not ban them previously? To my knowledge, literally no one was playing with those cards. They were not competitive on any level whatsoever. And um, I think the only one I had heard, one of the cards banned was Crusade which I think some I'd heard of someone using it in like a knight themed like commander deck which right. I I can see why it's in there mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh but uh yeah when you look at the art of all of these cards it's like wow the yeah we we've come a long way since the 90s one little side we're going to be talking about a lot of topics that we've covered earlier in the year of course we'll put links to all the stuff in the show notes so everyone can go and listen back to old casts and read old articles and that kind of thing as well because to be fair we have covered a lot about for example wizards of the coast and various things so there's going to be a lot of links to that mm-hmm. uh, yeah. cards against humanity has cropped up again and again for example yeah absolutely i think that there's a lot of companies this year that have taken a long hard look at themselves what do you think Ian? I reckon it's really, really important that these companies make these statements on Black Lives Matter and make safe spaces and explicitly chase out racists. Yeah. Because it's not that the industry doesn't have diversity, it's that diversity isn't represented in the open spaces where they can be targets. It's that these people don't feel safe. Yeah. And that's because they're not represented high up in the companies, and it's because these companies are not saying hey, we don't pander to racists. What we need is companies explicitly to say, if you're racist, you are not welcome. And they need to say that regularly as well. 
Because it's all well yeah. and good getting, say, Arch Warhammer chased out of Games Workshop, but there's still the undertones of creepy racism in a lot of the fan base. And that needs repeated casting out explicitly. I think that's fair. I mean, especially within Games Workshop, a lot of the sort of like, a lot of the original art and that kind of thing has a sort of slightly, how do I put this politely? 40k itself was I mean, was was a, a satirical yeah there's xenophobia is a thing in 40k but but in a sort of like sly nudge nudge wink 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 wink, wink over the top kind of way and it's meant oh, well, to i don't, be I don't know some, some, some of it was some of it was nudge nudge wink wink some of it was just look at this this is absolutely ridiculous now we can get away with this because we all know this is being stupid right why why guys what are you doing no, th- well this, this is yeah. the this is the satire paradox isn't yeah, it yeah of course like, it, it's, yeah it's <laughs> anytime you try and satirize something you are at risk of actually making it look kind of cool like american yeah. history x for uh, like, for an example yeah. like yeah that's a good the, example it's clear like clearly in that movie the the protagonist's a bad guy for, for believing what he believes in but at the same time white supremacists love that film it so it's 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 a double-edged sword uh, satire. That's for me clearly that is the intent of uh, the Warhammer 40k universe. If you yeah. were there at home thinking, "Oh, the Imperium of Man sounds like a cool place to be," it's not <laughs> uh, <laughs> very yeah. much not. Um, no. But um, again, like some people are just tone deaf and uh, they think Space Marines are really heroes. So mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember like I've got. One of the the early forty k rule books where it describes like what what a space marine actually is, and they're basically they're just, they're monsters. Yes, oh, they, they have are like genetically engineered monsters, like multiple livers. <laughs> like... They can eat the brains of their opponents to gain knowledge and stuff like that. Just yep. just they're monsters. They're Absolute monsters, and they have no problem with like just exterminating an entire planet just because there's a little bit of chaos there. <laughs> only a little Indeed. bit, but sometimes only, only a little bit's enough. But he who fights monsters must take care unless he himself becomes a monster. I realise I butchered that Nietzsche quote, but never mind. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. Talk, talking about taking things out of context, Nietzsche, old boy. Oh, shit. Mm. Yeah, hey, what are we talking and, about again? <laughs> well, let, let's let's move on to Wizards a little bit. We mentioned Wizards uh, a couple of times in that Black Lives Matter section there. And Wizards of the Coast has had a generally bad year uh, PR-wise. They've had... Uh, problems with a couple of artists. Noah Bradley was fired for uh, admitting sexual harassment. Uh, a Therese Nielsen was fired for liking racist and anti-Semitic tweets. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll come back to this again, but uh, the representation, their promised diversity in the product, did they deli- did they really deliver that in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything? Like we've been saying, they've said that's going to take years to really filter down into the into the community. And, and should it? Recent lawsuits with Gale Force 9 and Dragonlance uh, writers as well. And there's been a little bit of speculation over Wizards p- potentially being sold. Now, you say that speculation, Ian. I'd like to reiterate one site, one story. That, wild um, speculation. Yeah, it, it, is, it is wild. We love it, though. Grandiose. Yes. There's nothing wrong with a bit of wild speculation. And uh, uh, this year has been a, a wild year for companies being bought and sold. Mm-hmm. So, what do we think uh, Wizards will get up to in twenty twenty one? Looking forward to twenty twenty one. What what do we think Wizards will do to like address these problems internally? Get get themselves sort of back on an even keel PR wise. I mean, they're still the, the biggest RPG company in the world. Dungeons and Dragons is still massively popular. Do they need to do anything? 
I think they're going to uh, be prepared for a huge PR uh, bandwagon when the uh, Dungeons the Forgotten Realms set of Magic the Gathering comes out. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to they're going to really oh, I forgotten push, that was coming. They yeah, they're yeah. going to push they're going to push that real hard and hope that people forget about all of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, about that um, racism inside our company. Uh look, shiny shiny cards. Um for the audience and specific members of the cast who may not know what Forgotten Realms actually is. Which you find oh, a sorry. short explanation? No, the, no. the the fictional setting of, or the de facto fictional setting of Dungeons and Dragons. It is uh, not the only one by any stretch, but it is definitely the one that Wizards uses most often when they're designing that game. I, I believe it. I believe it first came into prominence in Second Edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons in the eighties. Yeah, uh, and from from pretty much third or 3.5 edition it became kind of the 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 main setting that everything that went on pretty much happened in uh, a lot of um, realms a lot of the dungeons and dragons based video games as well are set in that mm-hmm. setting as well i'm thinking like neverwinter nights baldur's gate yeah uh, that sort of stuff it's uh it's kind of tradi- you're very you're very generic i you know generic because you know it's dungeons and dragons very traditional high fantasy place I, I would really like to describe more, but it's like it's a generic high fantasy place. It's basically mostly some kind of the West, but there's also uh, supplements for the East of the world. And depending on you know what edition it is, also for going into space. Nice. So it's a bit like you could say it's a Terranoth ripoff, I guess. <laughs> Um... I mean, we could say it's a Middle Earth ripoff, but like when we're in this genre, everything's a Middle yeah. Earth ripoff. Yeah. So, yeah. like the shadow of Tolkien looms large over everything yeah. in this hobby. Going yeah. well, one thing we will see. One thing we will see in twenty twenty one is a new edition of the One Ring RPG from its new owners. Ah, um, cubicle that'll be coming out. Oh, nice. Uh, nope. Uh, Sorry, not it's not. Cubicle. No. Uh, I can't remember who the new owners are. Cubicle Seven used to own it, but don't yeah, anymore. That, then ignore what I said. Then I for context, I just like to say Terranoth is the land that Fantasy Flight Games uses for their oh, for Genesis stuff. For well, for like uh, battle lore and ah, okay. oh, that tabletop battle miniatures game they had that didn't do very well. And I Kings think that's of the War. I'm still seeing boxes it. of it on sale for like five quid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it uh, is it is the most. It's the most generic fantasy saying ever. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a shame because, like, well, I, the the minis aren't bad. I mean, if you're oh, if you're yeah. a budding yeah. if you're a budding GM and you want to get some like generic skeletons and orcs, like you, you could do a lot worse than picking up some of those boxes. But it I is actually spent... an intellectual property intellectual property that Fantasy Flight own, as opposed to all the ones they don't own anymore. Yeah, yeah. More on that later. Yeah, indeed, more on that later. <laughs> Uh, I spent a good 40 minutes of my life looking at the games and static with the big reduced to like five pounds sticker on them. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Going, is it worth it? Uh, Josh, you've played a bit more Pathfinder than any of us. What's sort of Paizo been up to this year? And have they responded in any way to sort of Wizards' troubles? Not not really. They definitely haven't. I don't feel like they've capitalized on it particularly well. That being said, they've. They've had a bit of a rough couple of years since they've launched uh, second edition Pathfinder anyway. Mm -hmm. The player base did not take to it half as well as uh, they were were certainly hoping. And I think they've kind of been struggling with that, trying to get... And I understand... 
I understand why they needed to do a second edition. Pathfinder had like countless uh, expansions written for it. It had become mm-hmm. like bloated beyond belief, even worse than any anything that any sort of state that three point five had got. But that being said, it. Uh, it, I think one one of the big mistakes they did was just not making uh, not making it possible for people to transfer their existing characters over, and people get really invested in them. So, I, I think that that reason and many others uh, to do with the mechanics of the game, I think they've still been uh, kind of struggling with that, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, you, st- you still see countless D and D streams, and that's what why D and D's become so popular. All, all that live streaming, all all that sort of. A popularity through places like Critical Role, but I just don't see the same kind of support for Pathfinder at all. No, and, yeah. yeah, I would say um, I would love to get the official stats on this. Uh, I mm. would wager previously, uh, I would wager about ten years ago, Pathfinder might have been more played than D and D Fourth Edition. I would, uh, like, I would have almost certainly. Yeah, wow. yeah. Um, I think it, without a doubt, D and D Fifth Edition is the most played RPG. Uh, pen and paper oh, yeah. RPG yeah. Uh, in the world right now. I would I would wager Call of Cthulhu is now second uh, and has leapfrogged uh, Pathfinder in that regard. I I, yeah. I I can't I can't back this up right now because I can't find where I saw it. But I did see I think it was maybe it was from Roll Twenty that was you know at least a a slice and it was how like what percentage of games that were played this year. Were, yeah, like, we've covered systems. that a couple of times over the year. Yeah, uh, that, like yeah. the majority. I think the main one was Dungeons and Dragons, obviously, and then I can't remember what order it was, but I think it was Call of Cthulhu, Vampire the Masquerade, Pathfinder was in there. I can't remember which edition, unfortunately. And then, like, I think it was top ten, and number ten was Honey Heist by Grant Howitt. And I went, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. Uh, as a little, okay, if anyone is interested in more of Grant Howitt's RPGs, uh, join his Patreon, and he has been doing a uh, one-page RPG a month, pretty much. Uh, and the most recent one is called Stone the Crows, which is a Guy Ritchie film about stealing the crown jewels from the Tower of London, except you're all birds. I love it. Sign me up. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Yep. This po- podcast is not sponsored by Ronrick and Decker, though we'd be happy to do so. <laughs> so we have the actual figures from Rule 20 here. D&D was 47%, Call of Cthulhu 15%, Uncategorized, that wonderful RPG we all love, 14%, Pathfinder in at 5%. Wow, um, that's quite a big drop between. Wow. I mean, a huge drop yeah. between D and D and the rest of the pack, right? But like from Call of Cthulhu to Pathfinder, I thought it would be a bit closer than that. Yeah, you yeah. should be playing Blades in the Dark anyway. <laughs> this is the report for 2019. Um, yeah. So who knows? But yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure we'll see like... some. Uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll be covering some end of year reports in mm-hmm. the first sort of few months of next year on the cast. We'll see exactly what's coming out of that. Anyway, uh, moving on to slightly lighter fare. One thing we wanted to mention, because we covered it two or three times over the course of the year, was Kickstarter unionization efforts. Uh, If you're not familiar with Kickstarter, it's a crowdfunding platform where a lot of board game and RPG projects get funded. You pledge to a particular project, and if it reaches its funding goal, uh, the production goes ahead, and eventually somewhere down the line, you get a product, or that's how it's meant to go. doesn't always happen that quite that smoothly. Uh, it was back in episode 42 when we first reported on Kickstarter's unionization efforts, and uh, the union did eventually get formed, helping them to negotiate settlement for staff that were laid off early in the pandemic. And this is a 
a prehistoric moment for unionization unionization in the states because it's the first really big tech company and apart from whatever else kickstarter does it is a tech company to unionize in the states so this is a little off topic for us but it's still an important thing to talk about i think and it's worth looking back at do you think we're going to see more tech companies unionize there's always chat about like amazon workers unionizing that kind of thing and do you think we'll this one thing I'd like to talk about is: Do you think will lead this will lead to better conditions for people like volunteers at board game conventions? Because it's always a little bit of a bone of contention around conventions is that a lot of the staff, in in air quotes, I know I'm doing mm. that on the podcast. Are, great radio, Ian. Great radio, Ian. Yeah, Thank totally you. great radio. I'm I'm, I'm a professional. <laughs> Definitely not been doing this for two years. I also, I also realize <laughs> I also realize it's not radio. I just have a habit of hearing people go, "Great radio." Yeah. Yeah. So do do we think I'll lead like efforts to unionize things like that will lead to companies looking at their own staff like maybe paying volunteers rather than just assume people do it for free what, what do you think that the sort of upshot of kickstarter unionizing is going to be i had such high hopes for this and to be frank let's look at cd project red whose staff have been in crunch indefinitely and are going to continue to be in indefinite crunch for the future and Despite them um, saying they wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Despite yeah. the CEO saying, it's all fine. We're not really in crunch. For those not familiar with it, the term crunch is something that tends to occur in computer game companies. And it refers to a period of very, very intense working where staff are effectively, not exactly forced, but pretty close to effectively live in the office and finish the product before release. It tends to happen in the run-up to releases of big computer games a lot. And it's a massive massive bone of contention in uh, sort of working standards in the computer game industry sorry Ian, on you go um so yeah i had extremely high hopes that the game dev world would unionize because it actually looked like there was a very solid push especially with blizzard unionizing mm. in france for example and oh yes i'd forgotten that happened yeah and yet we look at it now and you can see the cd project red devs in absolute crunch and clearly due to the buggy nature of cyberpunk 2077 they're gonna continue to be and yet the game yeah. has sold incredibly well the consumer pressure just does not exist what was it eight million pre-orders there was an interesting article i read recently that was an interview with a company called supergiant games who i'm a massive fan of uh, they have made the recent game hades computer game hades uh roguelike game sort of greek mythology tones to it. really great game fantastic game but they've had basically the same staff since forming the the core wow. sort of seven people or so that made the company originally are still there they've brought on all others obviously as they've grown but they don't believe in crunch they have family time you know they they turn off emails at the weekend they just have a completely different attitude to this stuff they map they manage projects properly they work to timelines and they put out products that are fantastic and beloved and doing huge numbers for the size of studio they are. Yep. It doesn't. Basically, I'm saying it doesn't need to be that way. <laughs> yeah, crunch is not necessary. The thing is, it, this is, this definitely isn't a, a problem that's unique to the the video game industry or like ga like gaming industry in general. Like this happens in a lot of different uh, industries. Hmm across the world this sort of culture of uh you know get get the product done get it to the deadline i don't like you know you shouldn't care that you're not seeing your family or resting or sleeping or whatever suffering um, for your art yeah 
And I if think... only if only it was R. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, speak for yourself, I work in banking. So, like, <laughs> uh, what I will, uh, what I do think and makes me a little bit more optimistic is that there is an increasing pressure on companies to change this culture. I've seen it in my own workplace where they are, the, the words they're saying is like to not encourage people to like work more than they're willing to and, uh, uh, you know, have a good, healthy work-life balance. Sometimes the actions don't quite match the words, but at least the words are there. And I, I think as time marches on, I hope this will become a thing that is, will become a thing of the past. I just yeah, don't know think, when when we're going to reach that point. I think one of the things the coronavirus has done is, have a lot of people take stock of like their work-life balance and realize like oh i can work from home on this particular thing like, i remember reading an article like someone saying like oh people working at home this winter will have bigger fuel bills and i was thinking like yeah but they'll be spending like a thousand pound less that month commuting to work so swings and roundabouts you know <laughs> as, a, as an aside i absolutely love working from home and i'm definitely plan to do this for as long as i can <laughs> yeah. get away with it <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I imagine like a lot of companies will be taking stock of like, do we really need this gigantically expensive office space? Oh, look, yeah. we don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, let's move on to our lords and masters, Asmodee. Asmodee, of course, own pretty much, well, everything. everything. They, yeah, <laughs> they own a lot of the board gaming world. But this year they've been buying and shedding companies. So Asmodee went on a big buying spree over the last couple of years. And this year they have been shedding a couple of those companies as well like plaid hat was the first goes towards the start of the year they went back to being plaid hat uh, not under asmodee they did shed dead of winter as they went which is their biggest property asmodee basically took that within the parent company and more recently fancy flight has been going under a massive rearrangement over the last year so um recently the star wars miniatures games all of them so that's x-wing legion and armada all moved to atomic mass games which is an asmodee owned studio they're um, best known for crisis protocol which is the marvel sort of uh, marvel superheroes miniatures game that they now own star wars the rpgs early in the year were moved to a company called edge entertainment uh, that's another Asmodee company. Surprise, surprise. And they've also they're, they've been losing jobs and losing other games, Fantasy Flight, and now they're just down to basically, well, as we said, Terranoth games, Arkham Horror, uh, the sort of Arkham Horror files, that kind of stuff. They're, they're, and they're of course, to, they've got more than you think. I mean, there is things. I was Twilight Imperium absolutely. as well. Yeah, I was looking at this the other day actually with uh, with Ian. They still have your things. Obviously, they have Lord of the Rings. They have the Arkham files. They have Descent, which remember is coming very soon. Oh yeah, new new edition of Descent. Yeah. Yes, uh, they still hold the Android license, so games like New Please Angeles. Please do something with the Android, and I will buy literally anything with the Android. <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> license. You hear that? He'll buy literally anything. Literally. You could make Netrunner cereal, and I would buy it. <laughs> Android dating simulator coming in twenty twenty one. We'll know, we'll know if Ian's hooked up to that, if he gets some cyberpunk in his head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, will, will, will we see Asmodee, do you think we'll see Asmodee continue to buy companies up in 2021? Are they done? They seem to be splitting things up into individual studios, so Fancy Flight's obviously going to be their board game, card game studio. 
uh, Edge will be their RPG studio and Atomic Mass is going to be their miniature studio. That's quite a smart way to run things, I guess, because it means they have specialized knowledge in each of those particular companies. But do you think we'll see them scoop up anyone else? Will they buy Games Workshop? They Rampant speculation. <laughs> no. Games, Workshop is, Games Workshop is worth too much. I mean... Yeah. yeah, but also I, 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 I would actually be interested to know the relevant worth of Games Workshop to Asmodee because I don't know that off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, what I think it is, you know, it's interesting Coming up to see live. that they are, yeah. you know, compartmentalizing them so they can be more specialized. But I think that cross, if you pardon, you know, the, the use of the word because the only thing I can think of, the cross disciplines of, you know, board games working together with card games, working together with role playing games, working together with miniatures games and bits and pieces from each of them, you know, you can take and learn from each of those different sides uh, and and maybe improve your game a little bit so i think it's in some ways i think it's sad that they are breaking them apart and kind of separating them just because you know you can learn some really or get some really cool ideas from say a miniatures game and put that into your card game don't ask me what they are i'm saying it's an entire hypothetical bit of cross-pollination between ideas yeah i can absolutely understand that and the, the thing yeah. that struck me with with this is why like I, I mean fantasy flight have been doing these games for quite a while now i've played a fair few of them and they were they're all decent products like either uh, decent at uh, like a base level as well yeah that's fair they, they they didn't put anything out that was just frankly dysfunctional so <laughs> And and some of some of the games Fantasy Flight have put out have been fantastic. Oh, completely! I, I, Civilization New Dawn, buy it. Buy yeah, it. Really I, and I, I, so I, I don't really get it. If like the old old adage of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Then we'll like, well, why are we fixing something that's not broke? You know. I mean, you could rampant speculation time again. It is the sort of move that a company might make before they sell off. Or a company goes back like Plaid Hat did, leaving Asmodee. Basically, yeah. the the big the big properties have been moved to the parent company now. You could see yeah, that being sold fair. off. Perhaps it's interesting that all the uh, they, they seem to is is Star Wars the only specific IP that they've removed and put yes. with one company. Well, uh, the RPGs all shifted to Edge as well. So the Star Wars RPG, Lord, okay, uh, Legend right, of the so Five Rings, been, right, sure. all all their RPG are moved to, to Edge as well. Right. So they're, they're basically left with board games and card games. And when we talked about this on the cast, we thought well, what might happen is you'll see Fancy Flight become basically the sort of franchise board game and card game arm of Asmodee. So if they get a new franchise, like like uh, Fancy Flight are about to put out a new X-Men dice game thing. I can't remember what it's called. But like, you know that kind of thing, sort of yeah. franchise, Marvel Champions, all that kind of thing. That, that will be what Fancy Flight is focused on for Asmodee is like franchised board and card games. From big film franchises, book franchises, etc. But that is rampant speculation. I know Asmodee are huge. Uh, I don't know if Ian's like Ian. Were you getting like the sort of figures for like how much uh, Games so they Workshop? Both, they were both valued one and a bit billion in 2018. I know that Games Workshop's currently valued at three and a half or something ridiculous. Yeah, oh my goodness. Games GW over the last couple of years has gone absolute gangbusters. Yeah. Yep. I yeah. think that's a drastic over-evaluation. But uh, yes, I would agree. Then again, Asmodee's probably done the same. <laughs> it's difficult to find out. I mean, the whole hobby, the whole hobby sector has been growing massively yeah. in the last ten, five, ten years. Yep. This, it's mental though that we we live in a world where like GW is worth more than Marks and Spencers. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> I love all the jokes on Twitter that is like that's that's the price of six Space Marines. No wonder they're worth more. <laughs> <laughs> or three custodies. <laughs> I can't I can't wait for uh, for the Bank of England to adopt the uh, the Space Marine standard. <laughs> yep. The known oil. Or just a flag. Just a, just a flag. The Imperium flying above the flying above the Treasury. <sighs> Not a drastic differentiation from British current policies or colonial history. (laughs) Oh, uh, let's let's steer away from that particular landmine right now. (laughs) Satire, remember? Satire. Yeah. Sorry, Magog Thraka is, of course, an orc and not the previous leader of the Tory party. (laughs) Definitely not. Anyway, gents, we've been talking for a little while now. What I'd like to do is uh, hear... Get a few thoughts from each of you on your predictions for 2021 for the gaming industry in, in general. Go wild. What do you think is going to happen in 21 for the 2021 for the gaming industry? What do you think we're going to see out of conventions, releases, companies, anything? Go for it. Make your predictions and we'll see if they're right at the end of 2021. What we should do is dig up our predictions from the first cast of this year. Oh, I said there'd be more asymmetric games, and I realise it would be asymmetric. It's called different time zones and learning how to use your own, uh, use your own nice. in, uh, interface. I, I, in uh, joking aside, I think there's going to be some changes. Maybe you know, small, but I think meaningful changes. Things like Tabletop Simulator, Tabletopia. I think there's going to be more push to use them for yeah. for for not. I don't know about demoing games. Maybe demoing games. I mean, I didn't see any of the or experience any of the demoing going on at any of the virtual conventions but i know that those two were very heavily involved um as as leading the the demos but i i think that option to get your game you know even if it's being kickstarted we're seeing more games going or you can play this playable prototype on one of these platforms i think we're going to see more of that yep ian you got any thoughts in 2021 on the convention front, I think the time of conventions being able to put out a lackluster digital front is over. I think if you don't have a decent digital front where people can browse your convention, get demos, get live demos, get product information, you're dead in the water. That's it. Um, we had one year. Do you think? Do you think we'll see digital offerings alongside the physical conventions? I do actually. Yeah, I think that's going to be a, a much bigger part of conventions now. Um, mm. Yeah, on a different and hopeful note, um, I think there's going to be a big push for sustainable. Uh, I think there's going to be a big push for sustainability. As currently, there's tons of people saying we would like some sustainability in the industry, and some companies are doing it really well, but not actually announcing it, and some companies are doing nothing. And I think Fantasy Flight laughs in destroyed rainforests. (laughs) (laughs) Just showers you with plastic miniatures. This rainforest printed one copy of Twilight Imperium, fourth edition. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think a whole dinosaur made all the minis. I won't tell you which one. Why don't you guess? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, I think that's going to be a moderate to medium focus this coming year. And if I have anything to do with it, I'm going to push it as hard as I can. Will you have anything to do with it, Ian? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Gauntlet thrown. Yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily down. 
just yeah. in the general Ian, direction. Ian might be starting up a little sustainability company, but I'm sure we'll mention that at some other point in the cast. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. For yourself, Josh, got any predictions 2021? Anything you think we'll see out of Games Workshop or whatever else you're into? I mean, Games Workshop-wise, I, I, it's difficult for me to see the ship going like drastically wrong for them. They just need to keep doing the thing that they're doing. Yeah. And they're they're going to continue to do pretty well. I, they would need to make an absolute arse of uh, arse of the next year for, for things to go really sour for them. Um, in ter- another one of my predictions is another digital one and possibly a bit of a cop-out because I think this is just more of a, a continuing trend of uh, tabletop games integrating tech, be it through mobile phone apps, be it through um, programs on a computer. I think I think we're going to start to see more and more and more of that, particularly as I'm sure that, uh, not to sound like Debbie Downer here, but, you know, it, it's going to be in the back of people's minds. This whole pandemic thing might happen again at some point in the future. So yeah. let's maybe create products that are better suited for that um, as well. Maybe see more di- digital adaptions of board games, that kind of thing as well, like we've seen with like Root recently, for instance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, there's tons already on my my entire Steam library is actually <laughs> pretty much just board game adaptations. <laughs> but again, yeah, I think I think we're going to see more of that as well, uh, and see possibly hopefully like some of the smaller companies uh, put in some some effort into to making uh, digital versions. It's not easy and it's not cheap, so so I do understand why they might not. Um, Convention-wise, um, I saw last week, was it last week that UK Games Expo announced uh, provisional dates in early yeah. June? Again, I, I, I think that is being very optimistic. I, yeah, I, I, I don't... I'd agree there. Vaccines did go live in Edinburgh this week, so... Yeah, this is and, and this is true. This is true. The, the the whole logistical challenge of getting vaccines out to everyone, and then it's a case of okay, we're all vaccinated. We now need to wait for case case numbers to actually fall. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and and yeah, with it being a logistical problem, we all know how excellent the Westminster government is at logistical problems oh, right now. Oh yeah, they're, they've, I'm sure they've got it all under control. <laughs> I'm sure there's no obstacles uh, that's going to happen between now and yeah. UK Games Expo as well. <laughs> so so we, we we've had some uh, we've had some talk about you know predictions for next year. Um, I'd like to take a, just a moment and go, Josh. I think listeners have probably had enough of listening to me, Ian and Ian. So I'd like to talk to you a little bit. How have okay. you found your year in gaming? How have you found this year in gaming for you? Has there been any games that you've played, you know, uh, more you've in- really enjoyed or kind of any notable kind of gaming moments from your, your year that is 2020? My year gaming-wise has been dominated by traditional pen and paper RPGs. I've been playing them so much more than I normally would. And it, quite simply, it... <laughs> They're, they're kind of well suited for distance play, right? Yeah, like it, you, you, you don't even need something like Roll Twenty or Fantasy Grounds to make it work. If if you all trust everyone to be honest about their dice rolls, all you need to do really is just call everyone. But we have those that software now, which make, enables it a lot. Is it as good as playing in person? No, it, nothing will be, frankly. But it, as I said earlier. 
better than not playing at all. So that's that's something that I that's the thing I've been playing the most. I have been pretty burnt out on Magic the Gathering uh, over the last year. I've, I've just been finding it very difficult to get excited about it. And again, I linked in with the pandemic. I think the reason is is that the thing I value most about that game is the social aspect. It's the going into a store, seeing people, uh, playing face-to-face. And obviously, there's digital adaptations of Magic the Gathering, and lots of people play them. For me, it's just not the same. And the, the, yeah. there have been problems with uh, the game design of Magic the Gathering over the last year as well, which has not helped. I really worry about Magic based on... like I've seen Keyforge tournaments where people have said, hey, pay £7 and this store will open a Keyforge deck for you, and then you can play it online using that specific deck. And I just think, why didn't Wizards do something like that? Like, they had, they are the major support for friendly local gaming stores. And yeah. they just burned them. They, um, trying to, and, and it, it's, it's something they should have done literally 20 years ago. They should have had a means of getting your physical cards into a digital space. Because their current solution is that you're just paying for both. Yep. Which, in reality, very few people actually do. People either play majority online or majority in person. Yeah, it's the same with their du- same with their Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Like the online stuff is really good, but you have to like buy the supplements again within D and D online, which is mad, right? Like, yeah. sure, like what? How much effort would it be to have like a unique code in the back of whatever hardback supplement you buy? Yeah, and you know we. we People pay like good money for that. Like, what do they cost? Like 30, 30 40, 40 quid? pounds? Yeah, yeah. they're not cheap. Yeah. Especially for Dungeons and Dragons when you need, at the very least, the player's handbook, the DM's guide, and the monster manual if you're going to at least GM, DM it. So that is, yeah. you're looking at 90 to 120 pounds? Yeah. I, I, like, I like this question on like unique gaming moments. It's a, it's a good one. For, for myself, it's been RPGs as well. I've been playing a lot with. Um, uh, Gaz from the Smart Party and a few friends online, and the major one I've been playing this year is a game called Agon, which is John Harper's new game about Greek heroes and tragedies, and it's fantastic, absolutely fantastic game. I, I know, I know you, I know you sing the praises of yeah. John Harper to the rafters. John Harper <laughs> is my favorite RPG designer. He, he designed Blazes and Dark as well, which everyone knows I love. But yeah, Agon's format is basically every week is a new island that your heroes turn up on, turn up at, and there's a problem. Oh, that's and your heroes are, that. are, are your heroes going to solve the week. Yeah, yeah, basically, it's literally Island of the Week, and by the end of it, you have solved the problems to a greater or often much, much lesser extent. But you sail away regardless, <laughs> le- leaving destruction Amazing. or not in your wake. It's it's fantastic. I really, I really, really recommend a gone. It's fantastic, so, Josh. What uh, out of interest is what um what RPGs have you been playing? Has there been any that have been like not just one? Is there any that's been like a oh. real highlight for you? I'd like to hear about this miscellaneous that Rule Twenty suggests was those top three. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm trying Complicated to think of any. I'm trying to think <laughs> if any of the ones that I've played would fall into the miscellaneous. I'll. I'll I'll tell you this, uh, Tom uh, Mannering, uh, who, who uh, is on the Unlucky Frog quite often, he did as a birthday surprise for me, as a bit of a, an acknowledgement of a running joke that I make with him, actually ran a one-shot of a DuckTales RPG. Oh my goodness, <laughs> oh, that's wow. amazing. Which is, was 
I, I had more fun than a 34-year-old man should have. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, if anyone out there has Disney+, Plus, watch the new DuckTales cartoon. It is much better than it has any right to be. <laughs> so, um, so that, that's, contrib- that's pretty cool. That's, that's contributed to that miscellaneous. Uh, the, the main ones for me, um, been playing, we've been playing uh, the Star Wars RPG by Fantasy Flight, mm. which is All now right. no longer in production, unfortunately, yes. but Tom managed Ooh. to snatch up the rule books before they all went. What's the, sorry, what's the conflict mechanism, uh, resolution mechanism in that? It sounded really interesting. It's kind of Genesis-y, isn't it? Or pre- pre-Genesis system? So is this is this the uh, obligation? You roll uh, some dice, and I think some the, the weird dice. Oh, right, the actual dice. Yeah, it, it, so basically you have a dice pool. Uh, you will have a certain number of dice that weigh in your favor versus a number of dice that weigh against you. Be that if you're if it's like an opposed test against an actual character or it just depending on how difficult the task at hand is. You roll dice and certain symbols will cancel each other out. So you just count up the number of successes against the number of failures. You also have um, triumphs and uh, it's not treacheries. That's the the thing I want to say, but it's not. uh, uh, Triumphs and despairs as well, which sort of skew give you a bit of a narrative, like points in narrative to sort of say how you do this thing in a really fancy way. It's, what I like about the system is uh, it actually gives players a bit of narrative control as well. And I, I suppose like you could apply it to almost any RPG, but it's more explicit in uh, Star Wars. It is, okay, uh, you've rolled two, two triumph along with that, right? How does how how, how does that factor into how how do you do the thing that you're doing to reflect that that sort of flair to it? Which is nice. It's kind of nice as a player to have a bit of control over that. The one thing I will say is because it's custom dice, it is very annoying because you you have to go if, if you're playing in person, you have to go and buy actual dice. Like you can't just use. You can you can use the polyhedrals that you already have. That someone's done a chart to go. Okay, one means this, two means that. That adds a huge headache into figuring things out. Yeah, it's not worth the yeah. load for that. Yeah, I will say I've played this exclusively on Roll Twenty, which does all the working out for you. I haven't I haven't tried yet uh, playing this in person with dice, so I don't yeah. know if it. I couldn't tell you if it feels clunky or quite smooth and intuitive. I I, I played a similar bit of that system. I, I played Wafrup Third, which Fantasy Flight put out, and Ooh, it had a similar third. it had a similar dice pill mechanic. I think this this and this was well before any of them. Yeah, and both these systems are sort of precursor to their current Genesis system, or well, not anymore. Their current Genesis system, I guess, Edge Entertainment's Genesis system. Yeah, they all they, which all the Genesis games use a weird dice pill thing. Uh, of weird dice and the problem i found with the wafrop one it might be better implemented in star wars uh, was that there was a lot of like sort of like rolling the dice and then staring at them for a bit and then figuring out what you wanted to do with that result (laughs) this is why i'm caveating caveating it with i've only played it on roll 20 yeah it it works all of that out for me (laughs) yeah that that, that'd be pretty handy because a lot of time was you're staring at it going like so a bit got too bad and i got one good so i did it but I did it a bit bad. So what does that mean? Mm. And then I have to think about it narratively as to what that means and then say a thing. 
as opposed to just rolling a number and going, okay, this happened. I will I will say this with like any uh, with with it being a Star Wars system, just the setting alone buys it a lot of good favor. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's fair. On the note of interesting dice, I am not looking forward to all of the prototypes next year that have been playtested exclusively with automated tabletop simulator systems. That I mean, there's drastic amounts more upkeep that the designer has not actually put into a physical copy. Like, for example, Ooh, shuffle your yeah. decks six very times good point. every yeah. turn. I saw someone mentioning this on uh, Twitter recently, going like, yeah, if you're going to bring your game to a publisher next year, make sure you haven't gone insane. <laughs> and like, made like a, a game with like D25s or something ridiculous yeah. that are just never going to be printed or produced. Yeah, I'm, Don't do I'm that. sorry, Ian, I, um, I cut you off with the, the predictions. That's, that's a fantastic one. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I would... If, yeah. Uh, can I, I very quickly uh, I think most of the RPGs I've been playing this year because I'm playing a, again a lot more all actually fall into the miscellaneous category I believe oh wow I have I think the ones I played a very short part of a campaign of Paranoia which was the Mongoose Publishing I believe which was described to me years ago as a combination of 1984 Brave New World and the Marx Brothers and I only played two games of it, but we all spent the half the game just trying to kill each other. <laughs> I'm so, in. You know, yep, it's, it's, <laughs> that's enough. That that was that was that was odd. And you know the rules, like I I wasn't allowed to see the rules. Apparently, players are not allowed to see the rules uh, because the game is kind of meant to be again that satire, that pastiche of of dystopia and a and a you know a friend computer is watching you. So if the GM thinks you might start to be understanding how the rules are working. Let's say you don't do that. Um, I've also been playing Vampire the Requiem, uh, which I actually... This sounds like I'm damning myself with faint praise. I've actually been really enjoying. I think I've had bad uh, in uh, experiences with the storyteller system previously, but I'm kind of feeling a bit better about it. I've been really enjoying that. And I've been playing some Wifrip uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 2nd Edition. Nice. So I've been having a lot of fun. Uh, oh, yeah, and I've also been playing Dark Heresy 2nd Edition. Um Get, getting getting my warhammer in oh uh, yeah i I, re- I really really want to run the first um Aegon hack which is called chamber and it's basically based on the x-files and the control computer game <laughs> amazing where you're all all agents hunt, hunting down weird items that have been possessed by the alien signal i did send you one recently i think ian that was called hellhound on my trail where you're all blues musicians Ooh, in uh in dust bowl area dust bowl era america Actually, talking about that, that's one of my predictions for 2021. I think itch is going to be a massive thing next year. It's become a bit of a thing this year for indie RPGs, and I think it's going to be much, much more of a thing. I think it's going to come to rival drive-through RPG as the place to go for sort of indie RPG projects. Hundred percent. Because I, I I think there's been a bit of a backlash against drive-through RPG this year, and DM Guild a little bit, and it seems to be the place that indie creators are going to do cool things. Uh, like I played a game called Have I Been Good, which is oh, a role-playing oh, game you play even, with your dog. Oh, yeah, which I which I put up on the site. I, I played that during lockdown with my dog Gypsy. Uh, it was more of a writing exercise than an RPG, I'd say, but it was still it's still interesting that it's there at all. Um, um, that, I, that sounds like the most wholesome thing I've ever heard. It's wholesome <laughs> it, and it's it's really it, it, sad as well. Yeah. I think just, well, it may be sad because because 
what happened. But you, if you want, Ian uh, wrote up about it. But he he wrote letters to his to his dog, and his dog wrote letters back. And and yeah, it's it's definitely a writing exercise. But it was it was a good one. And there's lots of interesting stuff on there. And um, one thing I would urge you to do is if you are buying anything off itch, uh, a lot of the stuff's free there, uh, or pay what you want. And if you are getting anything off itch, one of the things that really, really helps out these creators, much as with a lot of these curated um, sort of online sellers like Steam and DriveThruRPG, leave a review if you like the thing. That really, mm-hmm. really helps people get noticed. Um, I, I went back and left a review for I be, uh, Have I Been Good to, to help that creator out. And it is absolutely worth doing if there's stuff you like on there. But yeah, that, that that's my prediction for 2021. I think itch is going to be a huge, huge thing, much, much bigger than it has been this year. Yeah, um, I'd li- I'd like to add a little personal moment as well for myself, which was just after uh, the lockdown started. I was contacted by Oliver from Tabletop Games Blog, very lovely, and asked me to join in some uh, streaming that they were doing. Uh, initially, I was sitting in on a game of Twilight Struggle because I happened to mention in a Discord that I kind of knew the rules, and apparently that was enough. <laughs> I haven't met a person who has like an encyclopedic understanding of those rules. I think everyone kind of yeah. knows the rules for <laughs> yeah. Twilight. <laughs> yeah, my 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 story with Twilight Struggle is my is uh, my favorite story about it is how I learned to play it, which was it was me and two friends, and we spent three days learning to play it. So the first day was me and one friend. We played for three hours, got rules wrong. Next day we came back. It was me and the other friend. We played for three hours. Oh uh, yeah, we uh, played half a game, got rules wrong, missed out a day. Then on the fourth day, all three of us came back, finally understood the rules, and played two games in the amount of time it took us to run like half a game previously. And then the fifth Perfect. day, you rested, and, we, and then we rested. <laughs> but yeah, uh, and then it kind of went from there. So I've I've been doing, you know, I've been playing some games obviously with uh, with the Ians, but I've been you know playing some games with, with more people that I I don't know. Like, yeah, I've I've now met online, which has been really nice, and I've never actually done very much online gaming per se. So this yeah, has been do... quite an eye opener yeah, for same. me. Um, I've been playing, I've actually been playing a lot of Oath this year. I think it might be the game I've played most. <laughs> yeah, wow. we, we we have thoughts on Oath. I think we're gonna. I think we'll keep those thoughts on Oath we under the bushel for just now. On Oath. No, no, I know, but I've I've played four games, and that sounds like you've only played four games this year, and that's the most you played. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a difficult year. <laughs> Cut me some slack. Yeah, it's been a difficult year for reviews. I've still got a stack yeah. of games to get through for reviews. This that time, I just haven't this managed. time last year, I'd just been. Um, I think you know about a month previously, I'd been round at Ben's house, uh, and you'd been there, Josh, and we played some yeah. roots, didn't we? Yeah. And then I think we played it again at Glasgow Games Festival, and I was like, right, twenty twenty, man, we're gonna play some root. I've got yeah. Dune. We're gonna play some June. I mean, yeah, I mean, we had great plans to meet up once a month to play games amongst the giant brain team, and, and we that, had that started such well. A great first couple of months, they were great. Yeah, it was great. It was so good. It's super good. But we'll get days. back. We, we will get back to. It. I think we should probably wrap this up though, because we're past an hour. Yeah. Uh, Josh, <laughs> where can people find yourself and the Unlucky Frog online if they want to go looking for you? Yes, uh, you can find our podcast on all the usual places that you can uh, listen to your podcast. Just search for Unlucky Frog Gaming. There isn't any other search result when you put those words in. <laughs> <laughs> and nice. you can uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, well, I'll send links over for Ian to, to post those below as well. Yeah, we'll put all those in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us, Joss. It's been thank you. much appreciated. Yeah, thank you for having well, us. 
always good to get a different perspective from the team on these kind of things and thank you all very much for listening as usual if you like what you've listened to then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on itunes and you can follow us on all the usual places as well twitter instagram facebook webs our website is thegiantbrain.co.uk and you can email us about any of your thoughts any of your predictions for 2021 if you would like to send those in we may feature those on a cast early next year uh, that is giantbrainuk at gmail.com Thank you very much, everyone. Have a good Christmas, and we wish you a happy new year, and hopefully we'll all see each other in the flesh in the not-too-distant future. Good night. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.